Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. If you're a faithful bulletin reader, um, you're probably surprised that I'm standing here. It was meant to be Isaac, um, but Isaac isn't feeling too well today. Um, so I was asked if I can uh, lead the service, uh, well, preach to you guys tonight. Um, and just before we get into the, the sermon tonight, um, can we just open in a word of prayer? Dear Lord, thank you, God, that we can gather here together freely to learn about you, God. And Lord, I do pray that your word would be lively, that it would be active, that it would be penetrating our hard hearts, God. Please, Lord, would you be growing us, Lord, in likeness with your Son? Would you be helping us to be renewed in our minds and in our hearts? Would you be convicting us, God, of our sinfulness of times, Lord, when we have not, Lord, been the Christians that we ought to be, Lord? Would you forgive us for our sins, Lord, and forgive us for the times that we are unfaithful to you, God? Lord, thank you that we have a blessed hope, God, who forgives us for all our sins. Lord, I do pray, God, that you would just be working in us this evening. Would you be glorified, Lord? Would you speak through me and just give me the right words to say, the right thoughts to think? And Lord, would you just be um, working in all the hearts of everyone in the audience today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I was growing up, believe it or not, I was actually a very energetic and loud child. Um, I know maybe not so much anymore. Um, I'm convinced that it was probably transfer, transferred to Tolamo. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's the only place where you can get all that energy from. But I was really a loud kid. Um, I remember I used to jump around in my room. Um, I used to just keep jumping onto my bed, imagining like a war scene in my head. And I remember at one stage the, the bed frame was a bit loose because of all the, the impact constantly. I remember we used to have a trampoline, um, and I used to be jumping on the trampoline over and over and over. I used to be able to peep over the wall each time I jumped and see the strangers passing by, and I used to imagine battle scenes with these people walking past. And I was just really an energetic kid, and probably the one that I wouldn't like to admit. Uh, me and my brother used to wrestle against my dad in the swimming pool um, when we were younger, um, and I'm, I'm told that I was a shrieker, um, I will neither confirm nor deny that, uh, but I was really a loud kid. But since I was such a loud and energetic kid, whenever I was ill or sick, uh, properly sick, it was quite noticeable to my mother um, that I was not myself because now I was no longer jumping around, I was no longer on the trampoline, I was no longer shrieking in the swimming pool, but now I was lying in bed or on the couch and I was, I was not my normal self. So it was quite evident that something had affected me and that I was no longer who I normally was. My characteristic self was no longer who I was. Um, and just with that in mind tonight, um, I would like to... To, I would like for you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. 
Before we read um, this passage, uh, let us apply my story of how my mother used to see how I was ill to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was indeed a church. It was a body of believers, or most of them were believers, uh, we assume. It was the herald of the gospel in this pagan city of Corinth. It was the place where Paul had gone to share the gospel and where people had responded in faith. Yet, this church ought to have been existing in that, in that context as a means to glorify God. It ought to have been a light in the darkness to a pagan and dark world of the gospel of Christ, praising Him and pointing people to the true Savior. That would be the characteristic of a good and godly church. Yet, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it is quite evident that this church had been infected with something, and that something is sin. The church was no longer God-centered, gospel-centered, pointing toward the need for Savior. It was more focused on self, pride, lust, sexual immorality, and was really just a reflection of Corinth in a church. But with that in mind, let us read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between, uh, between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. The first point I would like to highlight from our text tonight is that God is dishonored by sinful testimony. God is dishonored by sinful testimony. In verse 1, we see that in the church of Corinth, there were certain brothers who had grievances against one another. What that really means is that one brother had wronged another brother. And specifically, later on, we see that this included defrauding, stealing one's possessions. They cheated them out of what was rightfully theirs. These are the grievances that they talk about in verse 1. And if we're honest with ourselves, though we probably aren't stealing money from one another or possession from one another, I think we quite often grieve one another. Probably not in the same way as they were grieving one another, but I think quite often we are, have a, quite a sharp tongue and we're quick to respond with harsh words. And sometimes we have an opinion that disagrees with the opinions of others, and this causes a sort of conflict and grievance between each other. And that is quite natural in a sinful world. We differ and we are sinners, and that is a likely conclusion to happen. Yet, the difference between a, nat a normal, I suppose, if you call sin normal, a normal occurrence of grievance and what the Corinthians had 
is that the Corinthians were taking one another to court. Um, they were not merely brushing it off, but brother was taking brother to court. Because he had been wronged, because he had been defrauded, he was keen to get vengeance on his brother, and he took him to court. So now perhaps you guys are thinking that maybe that's not such a bad thing. They stole from him. He deserves justice. Take him to court. But Paul thinks otherwise. In verse 6, uh, oh, sorry, in verse 1, he says, Do you guys dare go to the unrighteous instead of the saints? It's as if he is shocked, as if you would really take your brother to the heathen, to the pagan, to the non-Christian, instead of before the holy ones of God. Why would you do such a thing? Paul is shocked that the Christians in Corinth would so easily dishonor the testimony of Christ. You see, by going to court, the brothers in this church who had grievances, and they were legitimate grievances, were publishing in front of the whole world that they were unloving and unforgiving people. They were showing that I am not willing to forgive my brother. I claim that he is part of my family. I would call him my brother, yet I will take him to court to get justice. You see, doing this before the unrighteous, as it says in verse 1, is to show in front of the whole world, in front of Corinth, that this church was one of no love and no forgiveness. Verse 6 says, Brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. They treated each other as if they were not brothers, yet they were brothers. They treated each other worse than a pagan would, pre, would treat their own brother. They didn't show any Christian charity toward another. There was no forgiveness among them. So now, the whole name of God was being dishonored because this church in Corinth claimed to be the followers of Jesus Christ. Yet now the world was seeing who these followers of Christ were. They were seeing how mean, how unforgiving they were, and what thoughts would, they, would that leave them with? Nothing positive. They would not think anything good of these Christians. They would think that they are mere troublemakers and just like the rest of us. The nation Israel was chosen by God to be a people for his possession. They were to be a holy nation that was set apart to worship him and glorify him among the nations. Yet because of their disobedience, it was said of them, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What that really means is because of the conduct, because of the disobedience of the Israelites, they dishonored God. Because of their poor conduct, the Gentiles had such a poor view of who their God was because they lived in such, terrible, uh, they lived in such a terrible way. God's people, the church, are called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has saved us. God has chosen us. He has redeemed us with the precious and costly blood of Christ to testify and proclaim his goodness. We have been saved to glorify God and to tell the whole world how marvelous he is, how wonderful this free gift of eternal life is, 
so that others too might come to praise him. The question then is, is what is our testimony like? Is our testimony like that of the Corinthian brothers who went to court showing that they were unloving, unforgiving, hard people? Or does our life reflect one that has been changed by the grace of God? Can it be said of us that by our life we blaspheme the name of God? Or is it said that we proclaim the excellencies of Christ? Do we live in obedience to Christ? Or is our life characterized by rampant sin and disobedience? Paul believes that the church's testimony to the world is important because the church testifies to the truth of God's salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Souls can only be saved by this means. And if we live in a way unworthy of our calling, then we push people away from this only means of salvation. We ought to tread carefully because the souls of men are at stake. Paul then moves on to a principle that I believe ought to be employed in our churches today. Paul tells the Corinthians that instead of taking these matters to the courts, to the laws, before the unrighteous judges of this world, they ought to deal with it among them. They ought to deal with these trivial cases among the uh, church family. My point is that the church should be involved in all family disputes. The church should be involved in all family disputes. What I mean by that is that the church should mediate and seek to reconcile brothers who are in disrepute with one another, who have some grievance against one another. Paul says in verses 2 to 6, to 5, sorry, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? As much as we don't want to admit it, since we are all sinners, we will still have grievances with one another. Until we put off this body of sin, we will still have grievances with one another. The examples of the Corinthian church are probably more extreme than we would have. At least I hope so. I hope we aren't wronging and defrauding one another. Yet the cases, um, sorry. So these cases probably involve the stealing of something valuable or money. It doesn't specifically tell us. So in our minds, as I said, we might think that it is worthy of taking to court. Yet, that is not what Paul thinks, but it is certainly what the Corinthians thought in their hardened state. But Paul tells us that these trivial cases between brothers should not be taken outside of the church grounds. Why? Well, we are to judge the world, and we are to judge angels. Now, I know that is quite a profound statement, and I'm sorry to say I don't have the answer as to what that means. But it is true that one day, on the day that the Lord returns, we will be involved in judging the world and accounting for how faithful people and angels were to God. So, Paul's point from that is that if we are to judge angels, 
certainly we can judge some trivial grievance between brothers. If you're qualified to judge the whole world, why do you need to take it to other people outside of the church to handle? The church should have people who are wise enough and faithful enough to discern what is the right course of action between two grieved brothers. And we're not talking about gross cases of unrepentant sin, such as the man who slept with his father's wife. That is a different sort of judging. That is judging in terms of excommunicating one from the fellowship to protect the fellowship and that that person might be turned to repentance. The judging we are talking about here is judging for the sake of restoring the fellowship between certain brothers and mediating disagreements in the body. You see, as long as there's disagreement in the body, as long as one member is fighting against another member, the body cannot operate as it should. If my left hand is arm wrestling my right hand in some weird way, I don't know how that would work, both these hands are occupied disputing against one another. But the whole body is affected because now these two hands are utterly useless to the rest of the body as they are merely wrestling one another. So... I believe this message needs to be heard by us. I don't think any of us are planning to sue each other or take one another to court. I I hope not. Maybe uh, this will cause you to refrain from doing so. But we still have friction and disagreements in the body. Maybe we don't display it as much as they were doing so, but perhaps we shun them. Perhaps we don't speak to them. Perhaps we think they have sinned against us, and because that is the case, we ought not to associate with them. But as long as there's that disagreement, as long as there's that grievance, both you and that brother are not as effective to the body. Consider that as long as you guys are at, at, are at odds with one another, the body is not functioning as it ought to. So I want to encourage you guys not to, not to uh, leave this message lightly and think that this is merely applying to severe cases. We ought to be a reconciliatory people. We ought to be seeking reconciliation with all our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as, a, as uncomfortable as it may be, it, is, it might be a wise thing to involve church leadership or respected elders or members in the church in this process if it is a more severe case. If, it is not, if there's been a long-term disagreement and there's been no reconciliation, why not get the church involved? I know that it's not nice for us, and that's not how a culture likes to handle things, yet that is what Paul's principle is here, that the church is able to make right judgments on cases between brothers and sisters. So thus far we have looked at two points, that a, that a sinful church will leave a sinful testimony to the world and that that will not honor God. It is not sufficient for God. And that the solution between family disputes is not to go outside the church to try and solve it, but is to look internally to those who are wise and um, faithful in the church so that they might try and judge which what is the correct course of action? Now, just looking back to uh, the analogy I used earlier about me being sick and uh, being uncharacteristic in that, we are beginning to see 
the sin-riddenness of this church. We are beginning to see that because this church is full of sin, it has the virus of sin, it has crept in that they are a grieving people, that they're causing that they're causing disruption amongst one another. They're wronging and defrauding one another. So this church in its current state is not operating as a church should. So that is also a cause for us to consider. Are we a church that is ridden by sin? Are we full of sin? Are we characterized by our sinfulness? Or are we characterized by our faithfulness and our service to God? So, the third point I would like to highlight this evening is spiritual infancy causes worldliness. A couple months ago, Jabu addressed the the topic of spiritual dwarfism or spiritual immaturity in the church. Um, These Corinthians, they were not necessarily new believers, yet they acted like they were small children in the faith. They had been Christians for a number of years, yet they did not act like it. They ought to have grown in their faith. They ought to have some sort of stability. They were stable enough at the time that Paul decided that he was able to leave them. Yet, as time showed, they were not ready. They had not grown to the heights that was expected of them. In verse 7, we see the fruits of their spiritual dwarfism come into play. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? In these verses, we see Paul's greater concern. Paul is not most concerned about the going to outside the church to courts for them to judge cases. He is less concerned about that. But he is more concerned about the state of the Corinthians' hearts as they do these things. Paul questions their motives. Why did you not rather just suffer wrong? Why, were you not, why don't you just rather be defrauded than seek vengeance against your brothers? Paul is saying that you could well forgive your brother, and that would be it. You did not need to seek your own vengeance. You did not need to seek getting back at them. Yet, the Corinthians chose to go this route. And that reveals the state of the Corinthians' hearts. Firstly, they were cold, vengeful, and unloving. It is the normal state of an unbelieving heart to be full of malice, evil, sexual immorality, greed, vengeance, and anger. Before we came to Christ, we all were like that. We all, by nature, had hearts that tended away from God and toward evil. If one is born again, he is given a new heart, a heart of flesh in place of a heart of stone. No longer is our only desire toward evil. Now there's that inkling, there's that desire to seek and pursue after God. Yes, in the eyes of God, we are justified completely by the blood of Christ, but we still have a body of flesh. And until we put off this body, we shall still have that body of flesh. We shall always be tempted toward sin. That being said, the Christian li- throughout our whole Christian life, we are to be putting off the old self, putting to death our greed, our anger, our malice, and putting on that which is good, righteousness, 
and holiness, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are gradually sanctified. We gradually become more like Christ in His perfect holiness and righteousness, growing in the fruit of the Spirit as the Spirit of God creates in us that which is pleasing to God. However, as the Corinthians, if you allow sin to creep in your life, even as a believer, you will encounter this issue of spiritual dwarfism. See, this church allowed pride, allowed immorality, allowed unforgiveness, unlovingness, allowed all these issues to creep into the church. And as a result, they had not grown. They had not matured. It could even be said that they lost some of their holiness along the way. Over time, sin crept into the church. Instead of walking in Christ, instead of being rooted and built up in the faith, they were standing on shaky ground, following their own desires of pride, lust, immorality, and division. The Corinthians were not sanctified to the point where they ought to be because they they had yielded to the passions of the flesh rather than having renewed minds for the service of God. Because the Corinthians were still fleshly and earthly in their behavior, they had not grown in the likeness of Jesus Christ. They did not have love and patience and and a forgiving temper like Jesus Christ had. Jesus, when he issued his new commandment, said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you you have love for one another. These Corinthians clearly lacked in this. They did not love one another. They pursued one another in the court of law. They sought justice instead of loving them. Because they had not been sanctified, they were still spiritual dwarves. The Corinthians behaved as the unrighteous world did, acting with vengeance and anger rather than with love and forgiveness toward their brothers. They showed the true contents of their heart in their interactions with one another. They were a church that ought to be characterized by love, by unity, by a joint goal of worshiping God, had division, were selling their bodies to prostitutes, were drunk, were divided, and hated one another enough to take them to court. This was a sin-sick, a sin-infested church. Paul concludes this portion in verse 8. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers, The Corinthians, in their sinfulness, are not only guilty of not passing over their brother's sins, but pursuing them, pursuing justice against them, and in return desiring to sin against them by taking them to these unjust courts where it is quite likely they could have even bribed the judges to rule in their favor. They themselves wrong and defraud. Not only are they pursuing to get justice, but they desire to defraud them back. It is not mere justice, but is petty anger. In fact, in this text, we see a a sad sort of irony. Um, The word translated as you yourselves wrong, that word wrong, um, it it is defined as doing unjustly or doing wickedness. Um, Yet, if we look in verse 1, we see before the unrighteous, 
the unrighteous there talking about the unbelievers in the courts, talking about the unbelieving world. Yet that word is defined as those who do unjustly and those who do wickedly. So it is said that the Corinthians are behaving in precisely the same way as the pagan world is. In a, in a tragic reversal of events, the Corinthian church is indistinguishable from the world. The church that ought to be holy, set apart to God, proclaiming his excellencies, redeemed to glorify him for all ages, was living in sin, was rather serving, not God, but serving the God of this world through their actions. They were prohibiting the gospel from going forth in its full power as they defaced the claims of the gospel by their poor character and lives. Church, these are the marks of a sin-sick church, so full of sin that, is, that it is barely recognizable as such. They fail to fulfill the mission in glorifying God as they deface the gospel message because their lives are, incom- are completely contrary to what they claim to believe in, completely contrary to the new heart that they claim to have. They fail to testify to the grace of God in being adopted as sons because if they were truly sons, then they would love one another because they are all brothers and sisters of one another, yet they pursue one another in the courts of law. They actively seek to defraud and do wrong to one another. They do not show the love of God in their interactions with one another. They do not forgive as they have been forgiven. They are, they are not characterized by good works, pointing to the, to the salvation that they have in God. To me, this is perhaps one of the lowest points in the book of 1 Corinthians. I know we've dealt with some perhaps more extreme sins, like the sexually immoral man sleeping with his father's wife. Yet here we just see in all their interactions they can't love one another, that they are just so prone to anger, so prone to unlove and unforgiveness that they are that they are pursuing one another and actively sinning as unbelievers would against each other. So, what can we take away from these, two ver- from these verses? Um, it's quite a heavy passage if, um, if I look back at it. First thing I'd like to put forth is that the church, the body and the bride of Christ, its primary goal is the glory of its Savior. The Corinthian church forgot that. As they pursued justice against their fellow brothers and sisters, they decided to deface the church. They decided to make Christ look like he was the savior of people just so that they could continue in sin. That is precisely the opposite. He saved them out of sin, out of this world, to glorify him in their lives. We, as the local body, ought to be devoted in all our attention, in all our efforts to glorify in our God. We ought to testify to the marvelous grace of God that has been manifested in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. We ought to tread carefully to ensure that we are not making the gospel harder to believe than it is. Our lives ought to make it seem a desirable thing to be a Christian and it ought to be an obvious thing that we are different people. We are a chosen people. We are not of this world and that our home is not on this planet. 
If we continue in sin, we profane our testimony and the testimony of the gospel because we do not walk in keeping with what we testify to. We walk as hypocrites. How does your testimony look? Can it be said of you that people look at you and they know that you are a Christ follower? Does your testimony accurately reflect a life that has been changed by the grace of God? Or is your life still like the unbelieving world? Secondly, the church of God is not to be associated with this world. Not that we do not live life in a sinful world. We cannot avoid that. We will be among sinners. That's not the point. But we are not to be characterized by our sin. We are not to be a sin-sick church. If we are sin, if we are sick, then we can never be a church that glorifies God. If I am sick and I can't jump on my trampoline and I can't play games in my head, then I'm never myself. In the same way, as long as we allow sin to fester and this virus to continue in our midst, then we will never be an obedient church to God. So, I know that doesn't answer the question of um, how we are to get there and how we are to purify ourselves as a church, but... That is what we shall answer next week. So, if you just close your eyes with me in prayer. Dear God, Lord, you have been challenging us as a church, week after week, God, to be a pure and a holy church. God, we have seen in the example of the Corinthians, a church that had fallen into deep sin, God, I pray, Lord God, that you'd be working in all of our hearts, individually and corporately, to be a holy and blameless bride. Lord, that we would devote ourselves to you, that we'd be renewed in our minds, that we would live our lives solely to your glory, that we'd love the brotherhood, that we'd love one another earnestly, God, proving, God, that we are yours by our good works. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world.